Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, this is Dave Lickin. I've started the music, but it's just spinning here looking at me. Don't you know? Hopefully we're not going to have one of those technology days where it's just out there and not functioning. But anyway, good to have you with us. Alice and Andy, I just want to make sure you're both on and we're good and uh, everything else is going strong. You bet you I'm did. here, Dave. All right. Well, there it goes. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Well, folks, it's good to have you with us. That's called latency. When you press a button on your computer and it starts spinning and spinning, and I rebooted everything uh, so we wouldn't have that, but you know what? It just shows up. It's good to have you with us, everybody. It is Monday, January 12, 2015 already. This year is just going on by. We're honored to have you be a part of this broadcast. We're doing this for you as a public service, as a give back to the industry and that I've been in for 41 years. I can't believe it. I don't even feel that old. Anyway, it's a broadcast created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Innovation Award from Progress and Lending. So thank you to the folks from Progress and Lending. Also, we're excited to be back on a topic that we started last week. We got so much feedback to that topic of, you know, what should you be considering? What should be your focus in the new year? However you want to frame it up. But, you know, as mortgage professionals, what should we be looking at in the new year? So we're going to be getting into that in a big way. Got the normal lineup. Uh, Joe Farr's not with us. He's got a vacation day. Now, Joe, how did you get a vacation day this close to the holidays? Man. I'll pull that one off. Anyway, I just give him a bad time. I know what he's doing, and it's good. To, he is getting a chance to spend some time with some family that he's connecting with. That's really good. Uh, we've got Alice, and we got the prophet doctor in the house, Andy Shell. We also have uh, the, we won't ever call him infamous ever again, but the famous Paul Mallow on the line. And we always just love hearing from Paul and Sam Garcia. Got a full line, a lot to talk about, but uh, why don't you just get off by saying thank you to our sponsors. Get started by saying thank you to our sponsors. I do get off on them, too. They're great folks. Uh, United Guarantee Protection You Can Count On. One of the things I want to call your attention to is the Secure Cert. It's a suite of five options that allows lenders to choose the maximum rescission relief available at no cost. Secure Cert has options that fit your business, including 12 to 36 months. 12 or 36-month rescission relief, recession, recession relief, and a full file delegated submissions and one-day one day protection. So you get a protection right out of the gate. So choose the options that meet your businesses and your operational processes. So I, you know what? I'm saying thankful that they're our sponsor because I, they write up some great material here, and I muff it up a bunch. But I'm going to tell you, a really good group of folks and some very innovative products one of which is secure, certain you can check it all out at www.ugcorp.com your, you, and or contact your United Guarantee representative. Again, you can get the list of representatives that are in your area, if you don't know already know them, by going to that same website. Again, mortgage insurance underwritten by United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. Also, a big thank you to our friends at Velma, big sponsor and big part of what we do here. Many of you get email notifications. It comes as a result of Velma, V-E-L-M-A.com. Stands for Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. And, I mean, they are more than just an assistant. They are just one of the best services that really make things happen. Working with someone like me, you know, folks, we do this as a give back, which means there's no budget, no staff, no nothing. It's me doing a lot of this. Hope to fix some of that in the new year. But uh, And they call me like a little bit before the broadcast, hey, Dave, what's the topic again? And so uh, they're, they're scrambling. But I just love these folks because their attitude of service is just over the top, and what they do is just exemplary. And then they, and they can work with guys like me. So kudos to our friends at Velma. Also, I just want to thank Alice, Joe, and Andy, and all the, and as well as all those that are involved in this broadcast, Sam and Paul, 
and Tony oftentimes. It, it's just really good to have everyone's contribution to this broadcast. So I'm looking at the screen right now, just bringing up the what's going on in the markets. And uh, I'll give, in Joe's absence, I'll do my best. We have today the U.S. Treasury auction of the three-year notes. Uh, tomorrow we have the JOLTS, which stands for Job Opening and Labor Turnover Survey. It's going to be, give us more insights. Expected to come in at $488 million. Um, and we'll take a look at how that goes. We get, again, the Treasury auction is the three-year, the 10-year, and then the 30-year bond auctions going off this week. Now, what's so significant about this is really looking at the flow of capital. Because of what was going on in Paris last week, we saw a flight to quality. Uh, concerns over the you know what's going on overseas will always trump economic news. And we actually had some good economic news that happened last week. And so uh, that normally would have put an upward pressure on interest rates. That didn't happen. We still closed out the week with a pretty nice rally, and the rates overall moved lower. Again, I look at this screen screens every single day. I have them on throughout the day. We're actually looking at trading as it's happening. It's pretty much neutral, net neutral. It's uh, been going uh, slightly above and slightly below uh, on the Fannie Mae 30, 3 and a half. And uh, but it's it's really neutral. It's a zero unchanged for the day. So, um, Joe, you can go back and listen to this and tell me, hey, Dave, you forgot to cover this, forgot to cover that. But anyway, I hope you guys got it. It's good. Check out at MBSQuoteLine.com. We're going to be back right back with uh, Paul Malo. Excited to get his update on what's going on. And we'll we and we will be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteline delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 the Lickin' on lending show is back here is your host david Lickin. always good to have you be with us appreciate you tuning in again we've got paul malo of imfnews.com just a valuable resource of what is happening now paul happy new year good to have you with us my friend thank you same to you <clears throat> what's going on for you know, you know, one of the things I had so many people give me a bad time, and they said I use the misuse the word infamous as well. So I had a lot of people Ooh. tell me about that. But for those that didn't uh, say that, I've said Paul is infamous, and it, it it it's not a good word to use. It's not a positive word. See, I thought it was he's famous, and so infamous made it he's that much more famous. Not true. Word usage is important. But you always got a great group of words you're putting together up here on this website, looking at some of the stories. So let's do a recap on them. Sure. Mr. Mall, yeah. Good to hear you um, yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting start to the week. Uh, <clears throat> co-financial. Um, some people in the industry are probably familiar with them. They're out on the West Coast, I believe. Now, they started this mm-hmm. rent-to-own product uh, known as the Mortgage Alternative Program. Uh, yeah. And they closed their doors. Uh, they had some funding, some uh, some private <laughs> so much equity for money. Yeah, you know, I know Lou Rainier, I think, has been toying with rent-to-own concepts um, with some of his companies, but I, I don't. I I have to check to see how he's doing with that. Uh, you know, Pat Flanagan was co-CEO. We couldn't get in touch with him, yeah. but he, of course, was well known in the industry for New Century um, Financial, which was the huge subprime lender before the crack-up. Uh, so that was his little baby, and, and now they're gone. Um, so we we don't know any details. We did get confirmation of the closing, and it just makes you wonder, you know, is is can these programs fly, or did something else happen that we didn't know about? Uh, yeah. Interesting. So it's on our website now. Uh, FHA came out uh, just over the weekend. They put out the target date uh, on their premium cut. It's January 26th. The FHA premium cut was obviously huge news last week. We had a lot of traffic on our website on on anything related to uh, the premium cut. And and I guess the big question is for lenders is how much of a deal, big deal, is this going to be? Is it going to be, is it a game changer? Is it a big ho-hum? But, you know, i got to tell you, plenty of people, judging by the traffic numbers I saw on our website, everyone was interested in the topic. 
And uh, yeah. so it's something we'll, we'll keep an eye on. Uh, I mean, the the fact that you had Fane and Freddie coming out with their new uh, high LTV programs, uh, I, I think there was some pressure probably at FHA to do something because they realized, you know, they're going to lose business and they, they're still negative on the MMIF. And, uh, you know, if they lose business, they're not going to be able to get back and capital on the yeah. MMIF. So who knows uh, what, the, what the real thinking is behind that. Uh, we crunched the final Jumbo MBS numbers for 2014. Story on our website with Brandon Ivey. Uh, uh, listen, fourth quarter was up from third quarter, but for the year it was uh, pretty ugly. Uh, and, you know, just I think it's $9.79 billion in Jumbo MBS were issued last year. Uh, that's for the entire year, and that's down by 25% from 2013. You know, I, there's plenty of Jumbo product out there, but it's all going into yeah, portfolios. The economics yeah. of securitization just aren't there right now. And I talked to one guy who didn't want to go on the record, but he – you know his company's been active in the market, and he, he, you know, he's thinking, "Oh, we'll do a deal a quarter, maybe, just to keep the machine oiled." So we'll see about that. Uh, we did some interviews last week uh, about loan officers. This this is interesting. You know, a lot of the the guys we talked to, if you want to make good money as a loan mm-hmm. officer, don't don't work at a bank. That was sort of the message. Uh, you know, banks are publicly traded. They got a lot of, you know, they have you know profit goals to meet. Uh, and it, it seems they're paying their LOs a lot less than the non-banks. But, of course, you know maybe life is easier at a, at a bank, too. And, and there's a lot of gray area in those interviews. But the bottom line is you know bank LOs are, are underpaid compared to their, their com- compatriots at the non-banks. Uh, a study of lower F- VA loan limits, um, they came out recently, and it looks like that's not going to really be that big of a deal. No one expects that to be a game-changer. Uh, in the short take session, we have Five Oaks uh, cutting a new repo deal with B of A. Uh, Aquin Financial, which has been in the news constantly, of course, look like they can do some cleanup calls on their uh, non-agency MBS, the ones that are outstanding. Uh, it's it's probably a no-brainer, but the, this is a financially good move for them. The question is how much they're going to be able to pull off. Um, and there's more on the website about another Lots topic more. we've been talking to. Yeah, just one last thing about um, loan officers. We asked them, you know, how often do you see the client? And you'd be surprised in this modern uh, world of technology. You know, there's some LOs I talk to, like, uh, I never see the client. You know, maybe 10% mm-hmm. of the time, 5% of the time. Yeah. One guy told me 99% of the time he never sees his clients. Uh, and that's that speaks to technology um, uh innovations in the mortgage industry. I thought that's interesting. We'll probably continue to look at that a little more. So that's all the highlights um, that we have on IMF News. A couple things, some real quick feedback on a couple points that I thought the FHA premium – I would love to have you dig some more to see if you if you'll ever be able to find out the story behind the story, assuming there is even one. Maybe it is as represented. And uh, I, I saw David Stevens' comments and had a lot of feedback. I did a Fox uh, interview with Neil Cavuto on Thursday on this topic, and mm-hmm. I drew in a lot. I, I went on record saying, you know, I think it's a good move. I think it's going to you know bring the cost of insurance down. You know, some were suggesting it was usurious, almost to the point of ridiculous how much they were charging. Uh, the, what the caught my attention the most, Paul, was it said, several of the articles I read said, uh, and the people I talked to in preparation for the interview, is that they said they question whether or not the fund is as back to close to being healthy as possible. That, that's what was stated in some of the press releases, that it's very close uh, to being back to fairly strong. Any sense for that? I just, I go, Really? Well, the audit that came out in the fall, uh, and I'm going by memory here, I, you know, the fund's got to be 2%, and they're at 0.40%. Right. So, you know, they're way short. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. you know, maybe maybe when you look at the numbers, you could do all the, the tables of, you know, set the stuff in the future. And, you know, I'm told the cash flow is wonderful now anyway, so it's not like they're ever going to have a shortfall. But, you know, mathematically, yeah. they're supposed to be 2%, and they're 0.4%. So, yeah. you know, what do you do? I mean, there's a bunch of Republicans griping about it. And I don't know if they're going to bother holding hearings and, and listen, the FHA can do whatever they want on premiums. They don't need congressional approval. But they, listen, if the Republicans are really ticked off and they want to make a stink about this, you know, HUD still has to go through the appropriation process. Mm-hmm, and yeah. that's where we might find some, you know, payback, so to speak, depending on, on how mm-hmm. much the GOP gets its nose bent out of joint. So, um, you know, everyone's got an opinion on this, and 
I'm I'm staying agnostic for now. Yeah, stay well. It's, it's, you you do that. It's best if you do because you get the most objective. You know, when you start writing with a, a bent, uh, an ideological bent on any of this, I think it can mess you up. Great stuff on here yeah. again. I encourage everyone. The interesting about the loan originators. That is so true. That's not always the case. But also say you know it depends which bank you're going to work for. Uh, there we have some client banks that are clients where their loan originators get paid very well. So I think it mm-hmm. it's like so many things on complex issues, Paul. It it depends. Yeah. So it, it also really depends, depends on where the leads are coming from, too. I mean, that's another yeah. thing. Do you, are they self-generated leads, or is the bank feeding you know leads to the yellow? So that's another issue. Two different models, two different yeah. comp plans. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Good to be with you, my friend. Appreciate you Thank so you. much. And say hi to our rest of the crowd there at uh, Inside Mortgage Finance. Folks, if you're not subscribed to www.imfnewsplural.com, you're missing out. Get it. So good to have you with us, Paul. Have a great rest of the Thank day. You. you too. You back. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 Alice, uh, so good to have you here with us, as always. And uh, we want to get an update. I'm looking forward to your comments, Alice, as it relates to so – we're going to continue the discussion. But, you know, so we're going to get back into that. Some A lot of what you can say is there. But what, what updates do you have for us as it relates to the regulatory world? Well, I'm going to just chime in for a minute on the end of the conversation you were having there with Paul on the FHA MIP. Um, it's a constant balancing act, right, that everybody, you know, who pays attention to this is aware of. The idea of there has to be enough volume coming in, coming in the door in order to have enough premiums and then in order to feed the fund that then pays for the foreclosures, right? So in right. the whole balancing act, now that Fannie and Freddie have the 97 LTV, not only is FHA concerned about losing market share, but they're concerned about losing the better credit court credit score borrowers right so they already probably weren't getting a percentage of those the percentage that they would like but certainly their credit score over the years has dramatically improved and they want to kind of keep that because the better the performance then the less the back end numbers are pulling from the front end right to feed the foreclosures and so it's just that constant balancing cycle so i think it's good news Uh, i'm happy fha has dropped the premium I'm a big believer in that product. Uh, it has served well. Mm, yeah. I mean, to me, there are times when you look back in history where the Fannie and Freddie 97 LTV programs were taking really high-risk loans, really high DTIs. And, um, yes. you know, some of that was uh, not good for the market. So, anyway, um, I think, though, it's a good move so that we can watch it, and I'd say uh, it'll be good things for, for originations in, in the year ahead. So, Yep, um, anyway, my so my quick notes are the uh, TRID, right? Everyone wants to watch the TILA RESPA integrated disclosure, you know, map to progression for 2015. And we don't have a decision yet on the interest rate lock scenario uh, where the rule says you must issue a new loan estimate on the day that the interest rate moves from a float to a lock. That, so the way the rule is today is that that must happen the same day. There was a proposed rule that was published. The comment period closed a little while ago, at the end of last year. You had the American Bankers Association advocating for a full three-day period so everything matched. You had a lot of companies just hoping for 24 hours. (laughs) So you had a lot of companies. (laughs) Everybody was saying, just give us something. We can't pull it off the same day. Primarily what folks should be watching for is, Today, as you're writing procedures, this is one of those points where you're going to have to put it on hold. You should talk about what you're going to do today. Uh, if, if we don't get a change in time, uh, find out what your loan origination software system providers are going to start with so that you then know what would have to change if this rule indeed does give us, give us more time. But as of today, the rule is when you move from a float to a lock, how do you get a loan estimate out the same day? And some of the smaller low-tech providers are going to be hurt by this because they don't have the technology, so they're going to have to have a lock cutoff time, right? If I if I get a lock yep. request at 4 o'clock, can I get it out by 5 before everybody goes home? 
there's a lot of contention about does it mean can I stop taking verbal requests from customers? Is this saying I absolutely have to have an interest rate lock agreement? Kind of like, you know, taking a verbal loan application is taboo with ECOA. I think this is starting to fall into that same realm of, well, I'm going to have to have procedures that say we, we can't, there's no such thing as a verbal lock. I'm going to have to go back and forth with something in writing. So I have formal documentation on when the clock started ticking. And then we're noticing there's some state laws that overlap with commitment letters. So if now I have to issue a commitment letter, um, I'm making sure I'm watching all the various state laws that go with that too. So lots of stuff to pay attention to in just that one single aspect. Uh, we do have that covered in our TRID training package if lenders want to purchase that and, you know, kind of get a head start on, on all the issues. We just had, we had several customers email us and say, oh, I'm so glad I bought this. I just read Section 1, and it pointed out three things that I had missed when I read the law. And these are from really good compliance and ops people. So heads up on wow. that. Uh, we're happy to help you, so send an email to us, uh, and we're happy to give you that uh, TRID disclosure. It's actually all over our, our website, too, Integrated Disclosure Training Package. So we're waiting on two other, uh, on, on a Humda final rule. That has not come out yet, so we'll be watching that for you. And, of course, we had the new FHA 4001 going into effect on June 1st, and then Fannie Mae's collateral underwriter going into effect January 26th of this, uh, well, just two weeks from now. That a lot of companies are seeing as a game changer. I brought it up last week. And we'll, I think, Dave, it would be great to devote a show to what the findings are coming out as we look at that in February and give folks yes. a heads up on what yeah. in the market on that. That'd be good. And that's Excellent. my report for today. Good stuff. Thank you so much, Alice. Again, folks, uh, you want to get a hold of Alice, you need to email. The best thing to do is email her at alice.alvey, A-L-V-E-Y, at indicom, I-N-D-E-C-O-M-M dot net. Or go to the website, www.mortgage-u, as in university.com. Check it out. Call her at 24. Well, what's your best? What's the best number to reach you at now? I think I need to update this. Uh, well, what, 800? You know, the 800 number is easiest for everybody, right? 800-278-0200. All right. Good, good. I just updated mine. Good to have you with us, everybody. And uh, thanks, Alice, for the quick update. Thank you. We're going to be back with... The Profit Doctor, first Sam Garcia of Mortgage Daily, and then we're going to be back with also the Profit Doctor. So a lot of good stuff yet to come. Uh, by the way, Tony Garitano sends his greetings. They had an ice storm up there, so he's iced in. And so I tell you, Tony, I can't tell you, Tony, I'd consider like another place to live like Florida. Anyway, appreciate you guys staying tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. I love that new ad, Alice. Good stuff. Tell Drew he did great. Good job on that one. All right, let's get into what's going on at Mortgage Daily. Sam Garcia, good to have you with us. Happy New Year, my friend. Hey, David, good to talk to you, though I'm a little sad about those Cowboys. I know I'm a little sad about the Cowboys, but I'm delighted about my Seahawks. Right. And uh Someone said, "What are you to do?" One of my clients out in the East Coast says, "Dave, what if what if the uh, what if Seahawks are playing Dallas?" Well, I said, "Fortunately, I do not have to cross that issue, and I'm going to stay private on that." So anyway, <laughs> but I'm a big read into this statement. I'm a big, big Russell uh, fan. So um, yeah, Russell Wilson's my 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 favorite guy, leadership guy right now. All right, let's get into what's on the headlines. Lots here today. See, I'm, I'm looking at your website. Good job. Also want to call everyone's attention to the convention calendar, the best, most comprehensive convention calendar out there. All right, let's get into it, Sam. What you got? Well, I think the most interesting thing we saw last week was that uh, the weekly mortgage market index that we uh, provide in yeah. conjunction with uh, Optimal Blue soared to the highest level since October. Um, we showed that, uh, you know, of course, week to week it's going to be up because we don't have a seasonal adjustment, and it was New Year's before. Right. That more than doubled. But uh, 
the last time we saw that the index was this high was in uh, October uh, on October 17th. And uh, what we saw was that refinances led the surge. They climbed 155% from the prior week. And, of course, all this is because of uh, rates taking a big dive last week. So that's yeah. good news, I think, for anybody in the industry at this point. Um, another report that came out on Friday from the Bureau of Labor Statistics showed that uh, we had the mortgage industry had 3,800 more jobs, non-banking jobs, of course, in November yep. than it did in October. Um, so we, we, of course, do a regular analysis of this data and then combine it with some market data that we collect. And so our latest estimate for mortgage industry employment, including jobs at banks and credit unions, is 651,000. So that's where we stand okay. at this point, roughly, in the industry. Uh, okay. Over at Ginny May, they put out some data, and it shows that they're uh, – I think most significant in, in this data was that jumbo mortgage issuance jumped to the highest level in two and a half years. So we got government-insured jumbo production you know, rising there. And, of course, that's those special high limits they have uh, at FHA. But uh, it's just interesting that that was the leader for Jenny last month. Um, CoreLogic put out a report. And we like to focus on what's the average LTV out there. And for the United States, that came in at 58.9% in the third quarter. That was uh, down from 61.7% a year earlier. So we could see that equity is improving. Um, and the mm -hmm. state that had the highest, or I'm sorry, the lowest ratio, the highest equity, was uh, Hawaii. In Hawaii, we saw that the average LTV was 45.3% where at the other end of the spectrum was Nevada, which, of course, got hurt pretty bad in this uh, you know, market downturn. And uh, that was nearly three-quarters, or 75% average loan-to-value in there in the third quarter. So that's where we stand as far as uh, equity by state, highs and lows. Um, an interesting uh, story we did last week was Impact Mortgage announced that it's going to uh, acquire the mortgage operations of Cash Call. And what's significant about that is that you know, in 2013, Impact sold off a bunch of branches and, you know, really reduced its brick-and-mortar yeah. operations. And what they were uh, moving towards is a central, centralized lending structure, and this cash call deal does exactly that for them. It's going to help them actually be able to expand and scale, you know, uh, based on the market using the centralized lending structure. So that's kind of interesting uh, that they're really building up on that. There are some other lenders out there like that, too, that operate on a centralized basis. Um, mortgage Guarantee Insurance Company, MGIC, reported that uh, its business was better in December, up 14% from the previous month, and uh, their delinquency continued to fall down. Uh, it was down five basis points uh, in December. News. And, uh, you know, the data we have only goes back to 2009, and it's the lowest it's been since at least then and, you know, probably some point before then also. So, uh, And then one yeah. other thing uh, we, we covered was uh, – we got some data on uh, reverse mortgage production um, on proprietary lending products for reverse mortgage lending. Uh, wholesale business uh, surged. It was actually up. Uh, the data we have is for October was up 37% from the prior month. So yeah, that, that wow. industry, that business, uh, the reverse mortgage lending, has really kind of been on you know the, the downturn for the last couple of years. So it's good yeah. to see a, a month or two uh, where we have some you know, increase. But uh, that's Very pretty much uh, some of the big stories we covered over the last week. Good job, Sam. Love to hear it. I love to see your uh, analysis that's out there and, and what you're focusing on in the industry. It's always really interesting. It's data-driven. A lot of You're looking at macro trends, and that's one of the reasons I value your publication. Folks, check it out, www.mortgagedaily.com, or you can get a hold of Sam Garcia, 214-521-1300. Or email Sam at samgarcia at mortgagedaily.com. Just go check it out, folks. Good stuff. Sam, thank you so much for being a part of the broadcast. Thank and, you, sir. Uh, look forward to having you back next week. Appreciate it. Enjoy it. Thanks. You bet. Thank you. Let's get over to the Prophet Doctor. Always fun to listen to some of the wisdom and wit that comes from the Prophet Doctor. <laughs> so, Andy Shell. Hey, Dave. Good to be on the show again. Always fun. Always fun. Looking forward to starting off with you on the hot topic, but let's uh, get into a little bit of a some quick reminders on some of the things that you have for our listeners that's more down the profit doctor line. Well, I'm actually I'm I'm kind of in a in a vision casting 
mood today in, in thinking yeah. about the, the future, thinking about 2015, and in, and in looking back about you know, how, do you, how did we get here <clears throat> and how, when, we, when we start in the past and look forward, how did we get to a successful outcome? And yeah. I know, Dave, you, you've yeah. seen my, my office here, and I've got two marker boards, and I've got stuff around on my <laughs> yeah. walls. And uh, what, I have three documents on my wall. I have the Declaration of Independence. I have the Gettysburg Address, and I have the I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King. All three of these documents are on my on my wall in my office, and I like to periodically look at it because you like in the the Declaration of Independence, when in the course of human events, so forth, and then in the Gettysburg Address when when Lincoln Lincoln says that. We hear highly resolved that these dead shall not have died in vain, and blah, blah, blah. Of the people, by the people, shall not perish from the earth. And Martin Luther King, the most famous portion of it is, I have a dream that my four little children, one day will live in a nation when they are not judged by the color of the skin, but by the content yes. of their character. Of their so character, So I keep those yes. on my walls, right, Dave? And those were, at the time that they were written, vision-casting documents. They were every single one of them was not living in the moment of what it, uh, of the reality of the day. They were living in what could be. And Martin Luther King, I think, is probably one of the best at it in, in, in looking forward to what could be. And, you know, to the extent that we're there with any of the documents, totally is, is debatable, I guess. But I think for the most part we can say, yeah, we've made a lot of progress. And that same kind of, that same kind of vision casting came to be because we took a bold vision and then we had a deployment strategy. You know, like it or not, here in Texas, as a result of the Lincoln administration and Lincoln dying, we had the carpetbaggers that came down from the north that took over the state. And I mean, there's a lot of interesting history. We had the Civil Rights um, Act that made a lot of progress, but it's still ways to go. So without getting into the politics of all that, we took a build vision, and then there were implementation elements. There was deployment strategy. Mm. And there was measurement. There were deadlines, like in the Civil Rights Act. There was deadlines and measurements, and how did you know you got there? And that's, that's the same thing for our businesses. We need to – and I know you're, people don't know this about you necessarily specifically, Dave, but you're very big on vision casting. And even in our firm, in our company, where you and, and I work, we're, we're looking at um, what's, what's our purpose? What's our value alignment? What is it about yep. our – Right, right. What's what's our services complement? We're always looking at these things, and so when when our listeners look at 2015, it, it's kind of like step back and think, what is my vision, and then take the vision and apply it against the reward. You know, there, there's risk, there's reward, and there's probability of outcome. So we want to evaluate what we can be versus what we are and what are the steps to get there and have a realistic assessment of the next steps. Well, what does it really mean to get to where we want to get to? Are we going to want to grow our business 50%? Do we want to increase our margin by 25 basis points on every loan starting tomorrow? You know, what's the probability of the outcome? How likely is it that those things can happen? And then come up with implementation strategies, implementation steps, being able to measure the progress. So that's, that's you know, not really the hardcore MSR, SRP, profit doctor kind of stuff, but as we start getting into the next Very segment, good. I wanted to start thinking about what does success look like and how do you know that you got there and what are the steps to get there? And so all that's going to tie back to the CFPB oversight in a minute here, but that's where it's going to start. Good, 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 good. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, I can't wait to get into that because there's a lot to talk about and things we should be focusing on the new year, which we're going to be, that's what we're going to be talking about. So what does 2015 hold in store for the industry? What should we be focusing on? We're going to be back with that in just a minute. Thank you so much, Andy, for bringing us some uh, wisdom here. It's always fun to see what you have on your walls and your office because it it really brings us back to some grounding principles. It's really good. Good, good, good stuff. Folks, we're going to be right back. I have your document too, too, about vision casting. So I didn't want to mention you along with Martin Luther and Abraham Lincoln, but (laughs) you're there too. (laughs) Quite a difference, but thanks so much. Well, folks, we're going to be right back after this brief break. 
Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 Combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact the Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Good to have you with us, everybody. Again, we are uh, talking to you from uh, Austin, Texas, and that's where we're based out of. And it is January 12th. So we always say that at the beginning of the hot topic, as many people advance as they go back and listen to the broadcast on a download basis, uh, they go back and they always say, what was what, what month of, or what day am I listening to? So again, January 12th. Monday, good to have you with us. By the way, I forgot to mention at the top of the broadcast that uh, Mortgage Professional America has got a, a deal that they're calling called the um, Young Guns. It's if someone is originators that are under the age of 35, if you know of someone that uh, should get some mention as to someone that's doing really well, making waves, as they say, in the industry, go to their website, check it out, and nominate the people that you believe should be nominated for the Young Guns, quote-unquote young as in age, Young Guns, as in the ones that are doing uh, making quite a difference out there. Check it out by going to Mortgage Professional America. We also thank you for all of the partnerships we have with the publications, uh, National Mortgage Professional. We have it with so many, as well as Tony Garitano's publication uh, as well. So good to have you all with us. Let's get into what we are picking up actually from last week where Andy Shell got slightly got cut short and we got some people, you got some friends out there, Andy, who said, I didn't get to hear. I, I know Andy had more. We got to go back to what Andy says. And then they had people circle back to what Alice said. And then we got a listener that wrote in. So I want to go back to what you were talking about. You were talking about compliance management systems, CMS, another set of initials, alphabet soup stuff. So let's go yep. back and visit on what you touched on, and then if you could continue on with some of the points you were making, and then we're going to get over to Alice. All right. Sounds great, Dave. Thank you very much. Well, CMS, Compliance Management Systems, uh, it, it really comes down to just some very common sense aspects. We may look at the bulletins by the CFPB that are released or try to read the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, and you know we just get just so bogged down in all of the details. So if we step back for a second and just identify five steps or five things to do, it makes some of the overwhelmingness feel less overwhelming. You know, we were, we were talking a minute ago yep. about uh, some of the greatest need for 2015, and, and, and you had talked about uh, it's about identifying opportunity or, or reward, and it's about establishing or, or measuring risk and one of the risks that we face is ignoring the CFPB. So we would say, right. at least on the surface, oh, of course not. We're not going to ignore the CFPB. But I can tell you from people I've talked to, there's many companies that are. They, they, yeah. they, if you were to face them and say, do you realize that because you just signed up that new vendor – who has access to your proprietary customer data because you don't have in that agreement that they have to provide certain performance benchmarks and you have the ability to terminate the agreement if they don't comply with federal consumer protection laws, that you are already right now in the violation of the vendor management policy, vendor management regulation that came out. So you step back and think about common sense-wise, one of the things the CFPB wants us to do that would be part of our compliance management system is that we have to know who we hire. So if we were going to remodel our bathroom at home, we would check references. We would make certain that the scope of work is well-defined. They're going to do this, this, and this, and they're going to clean up after themselves. They're not going to start work before 
you know, 9 o'clock in the morning. They're going to, if they break something, they're going to fix it. They're going to create this, this beautiful bathroom that we've defined about what it's supposed to look like. Well, that's yeah. the same thing. That's just what, that's what the CFPB wants us to do. They want for us to know our vendors and know that our vendors are going to be able to protect our consumers. Because the overriding arch under a compliance management system in a new CFPB world is how do we know consumers are protected? How do we know we're protecting yes. the consumer? So we also do that because we're going to tell them the truth. Part of the new consolidated disclosure, it's really about the consumer understanding the cost in their loan. So customers want to know what's my payment, and the other question they should ask is, well, what's my interest cost going to be? And that's part of what this is about, is telling the consumers the truth. Now, another quick thing, Dave, about compliance management systems is that if a customer sends you a letter and says, hey, I've got a problem with my payment, or I've got a problem with these fees you charge me, or I've got a problem with when you say I have to do whatever this is, next thing is, right. mm-hmm. we have to respond to the customer. We have to re- treat the customers well. So the things that I've just listed are all CFPB bulletins or RESPA requirements or new laws, but know who you hire. That's the vendor management bulletin, and respond to customers. That's part of what's called the Qualified written request provisions under the new CFPB servicing requirements that are generically referred to as complaint management, where if we get a request from a customer, we have to respond to them within five days and tell them we got your letter, we're looking into it, and then in 30 days we have to give them an answer, or we can ask them for more information and extend it for another 15 days. But we have to do these things, and if you were really a consumer-focused mortgage lender and you cared about what the consumer thought, you would be doing these things. You would care about responding yes. to a customer's request. You'd always tell the customer the truth, and you'd be careful about who you associate with that could have access to your consumer's data. So these things are common-sense things. If you're successful business owners would view these things as, oh, yeah, of course we need to do that. Well, that's all that is. That's all this is. We add a degree of accountability, so we need to understand these rules. And what's interesting about complying with a CFPB is it's an open book test. They told you what yeah. they're going to do. You can you can Google CFPB exam guide, and it'll tell you when, when they look at fair lending, they're going to look at this. When they look at uh, Bank Secrecy Act anti anti money laundering provisions, they're going to check this for RESPA for the various bulletins. They're going to check these things, and so. The CFPB world doesn't have to be worrying about the monster in the closet because it's really it's an open book test. And if we always keep at the forefront of our mind, how do you know the consumer is protected? That's the litmus test that the CFPB is going to be implementing. Are you doing the things you're supposed to do to protect the consumer, protect their data? What's in the best interest of the kid? Yep. Yeah, and not even yeah. Well, the consumer has some accountability to make informed decisions, but it's protecting the consumer. Don't lie to them, don't mislead them. Be careful who has access to their data. Respond to them timely, and treat them like you'd want to be treated. I mean, it's so people are all worried about the CFPB and this compliant management system requirements. And you know, when I at the end of the day, it's common sense and it's. It's it's all about the components of success that I know you talk about a lot, Dave, when you're dealing with branches wanting to grow or how to get uh, origination teams inspired. It's not just about running around in circles really fast. It's about having that energy deployed yep. in a way that has a planned outcome with a structured with a structured steps, measuring your steps have reasonableness tests associated with your activities, measuring your activities, and then being accountable for the result. It's kind of like, you know, my mom used to tell me when I was cleaning up stuff, she would say, wash, rinse, repeat. So we've got to wash, rinse, repeat. Make sure we keep doing that over and over. And that's process. part of the path. Yeah, you know, it's it's part of our process for success with with an origination team. Same thing, apply it back to your compliance management system. And... You know, I make it sound like it's so easy, and, and there's elements of it that really are easy. People there, are getting all wrapped not, around the axle about this. The, the point of it is it doesn't have to be that difficult. And that, if, if, if you just read it, and it, I think we just 
start wringing our hands. It reminds me of the famous story that came out years ago, and it's talking how to deal with customers, and it's just responding to them. Sears had a catalog. Someone ordered a pot belly stove back in the old days in the cold country. They ordered a pot belly stove, and the guy thought he installed it right, but it burned a hole in part of his floor and burned some of the carpeting up. And so he wrote a, an email to Sears. And the shortest stories is, is they elevated it all the way to the present. They ended up hiring a law firm, a specialty firm on how to communicate this. And the whole time the guy just says, you know what, I, 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 yeah, I understand this was just faulty. And it turned out there was a little faulty thing. And they were worried about all this lawsuit. They spent all this hoopla about it without just picking up the phone. And the one guy finally came along was a consultant and says, have you ever talked to the guy? And you go, it's like, never talk to the person. It's amazing what you can resolve by just getting on the phone and talking to someone. He just wanted some new carpet and maybe some floor replaced a little bit there, and, and they went overboard to make sure he was happy. He was delighted. We make big problems out of CFPB. We make big problems out of what's going on because we just don't take time to do the common sense things like respond to consumers in a timely manner, protect their data. But now we have the CFPB. We do have regulations that are very serious and consequential if you don't follow them. So you do have to have a system. CMS, uh, Compliance uh, Management Systems, is really there. If you had to say, Andy, in a real nutshell, what are the most important components of a a comprehensive CMS plan. Get people started down that. What is what would you say it would be? Well, it, Alice and I have talked about over the over the years that process matters. It's not just that you got it done; it's how you got it done. And so we got to go back a little bit to measuring our activities. And so we need to have we need to understand what it is we're trying to accomplish. So you you got to have a, a path that defines what what is it we're accomplishing. So under like the fair lending requirements under ECOA, what, what is it that we're measuring? So is it is it just underwriting steps? Is it rates, the interest rate charged to borrowers based on geographics or race? I mean, so we got to define what it is we're measuring, and then we need to have a system of tracking this. We need to have our procedures that define what it is we're going to do and how we're going to do it. We're going to tie it back to an overriding accountability structure, which we're going to call yeah. governance. And that's where the policy mm. comes from. So we, we've got a governance yep. body, which is the owners or the board, that defines the policy, and the policy then drives to the procedures, and the procedures are things we're going to check. And the, how we check them comes back to using computers to help us keep up with stuff, like, hey, we got a call from a we got a, got an e letter from a customer, so we're going to log it into our compliance management system in the complaint management or customer Q, QWR, the Qualified Written Request bucket and start managing it and you know it's just break it into steps come up with a plan identify the high risk issues the high risk issues are like don't sign up a new vendor tomorrow when you don't have the cfpb rules in place that went into effect two years ago you know just yeah. don't do it and <laughs> when you get a you get a request from a customer tomorrow track it because you've had a year yes. to do this now it's been in place for a year so just track it so let's get let's sense? get allison on yeah, yeah, makes sense and totally makes sense. Let's get Allison on this. What would you add from your perspective to what Andy's saying, Alice? I know you're you're you 100% there. What how, any more color you want to add to this topic of something that's so important for 2015? Yeah, I mean Andy's trying to uh do he's doing a great job and just trying to impress upon people the same thing I always keep saying, start getting something in writing. It doesn't have to be this significant robust system, although I will say for vendor management in particular, for those of you who are larger shops and you say, well, I've got 35 vendors I have to try and figure out because you're outsourcing a bunch of stuff, there there may be some software solutions out there that can help you get some preliminary management of that list of making sure you're checking things off the list that you've done in, in the approval process, but uh, it's not one size fits all. Every company no. has to design what is going to fit for them and um, that you've got to have this vendor management one down to. So the complaint process you can keep in the log. Vendor management is much more detailed uh, and it involves each vendor being treated differently, right? Uh, so Andy's described on what amount of information are they getting and how are they using it. Yeah, and so we did Alice, a lick on lending on vendor. Just yeah. a quick shout yeah. back to October. We yeah. did a lick on lending program that, that the entire like probably 45 minutes devoted to vendor management. So listen to the program. It gives you the step-by-step yeah, -step what you need really to do. 
Yeah. Yep, yep. Well, we as excellent. a vendor on the receiving end, we've had one company, it was a bank, and we were doing significant outsourcing services for them, and the list was 2,800 questions that we went through You're as a vendor. Serious. Yes, absolutely wow. serious, because we have all the documents, all access to their system. You know, when we when we get in and help companies with processing, you know, we're and for us, we know how to do that, right? That we're set up to do that. We've got the technology, we've got the security. You know, we're able to go through that extensive of a questionnaire and come out with flying colors and get the deal. You know, but uh, so it doesn't have to be that level. But for those of you who say, well, I don't have anything yet, if you want to know how far behind you are on your peers, especially with a bank, um, that's that's how intense it can get at some companies. That is so true, and it's such a good good reminder. Um, the servicing, for those that are involved in loan servicing, uh, we know that they have to respond a certain period of time, but what about the front-end process? Uh, I'm going to start with you, Alice, and then go to you, Andy. Uh, when customers are inquiring, are we? what differences are there in – someone just actually texted us. Is, what, is there, do I need to be doing something different when responding to borrower requests on applications I have in my pipeline? Alice? You mean so I'm asking uh, my borrowers asking about questions on my pipeline? I guess I just you know, like yeah, a new in other borrower. Words, and that, I have a, a borrower has a, you have an application going with a borrower. You have a loan in 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 uh, process. I mean most of, okay. most originators are very responsive to the consumers' questions on there. Is there logs that originators need to keep? We know that consumers that I mean on the loan servicing side, there's a very Discipline process, and it usually, for the most part, we have good response. Where originators are fairly responsive to the borrowers or the applicants' needs as they work through the loan process. But are there any logs that are necessary for loan originators, similar to servicing? Well, I think what what the issue is is the escalation process, right, that Andy and I talk about. The idea of there's certainly those frontline level problems, you know, your typical my borrower's upset because, you know, there's a we're taking too long to close the loan or, you know, we've had to go three times back through underwriting, whatever the problem is that a you know, if we didn't extend the lock, but you've got minor oper I shouldn't say minor, but you have operational problems. Yeah at one level that are in a conversation log. Well, that's not rolling up properly, right? So you, you have to identify as a company, when it hits this level of a problem, it's now a formal complaint that has to get addressed by management and has to be tracked outside yeah. of that loan file, right? So that's right. the issue. It's how do I get it? out of each individual loan into a corporate-level tracking that management is monitoring. Is XYZ person the one having all the complaint problems? Are we having consistent problems on rate locks? And we have to have a, a corrective action for that. Uh, Andy, anything you want to add to that? I think that, to me, is where the problem is. I, I think more companies are better yes. at putting the comments in at the loan level. They're just not rolling up. I think, I think you said it very well. Alice, I want to clarify one point too that Dave was saying about servicing. If if you are releasing all of your servicing, every single loan you sell is on a servicing release basis. But on occasion, because of the timing of the investor purchase, you collect a first payment. Then you're a servicer, and you're, there's no exemption from this um, responding to customer requests. So if you ever collect a first payment, which every mortgage company does, because there's there's, there's timing issues on the sale by to the investor, then you're going to have to have a mechanism of dealing with customer requests, qualified written requests. And associated with that, which is exactly what Alice was talking about, was the escalation process when customers are complaining about lock extensions or all this other stuff. So you can put it all together and manage it as one. It doesn't have to be two different systems, but you do have to have a system to deal with the you qualified it. written requests. I encourage everyone to go back and listen to the August 18th broadcast where we had Andy Shell and Teresa Marie on talking about this very topic. August 18th, that's when we recorded that broadcast. It's here. I'm looking at the list of broadcasts. That's when it was. Go back and check it out. You can go online and do that, or you can, if you download it, and um, check on uh, iTunes uh, the, the in the topic in the podcast section you'll see it so october i mean excuse me august 18th 
I want to get back, Alice, to some of the things you were talking about. Andy, we could go on and on about this. It's good stuff, and we'll respond to listeners' questions. If you have more questions, email me some in. We do have a listener that asked us a question I want to get to. But, Alice, I want to circle back to you and some of the things that you were talking about in your hot and when, when you were talking last week. When you think about the things of your, of your clients, what is the number one thing that you say, above all else, pay attention to? Is it the TRID, would you say? Do you have a feeling that the people are get the trid are, are are getting that, or is there any one thing? Someone actually wrote me asked that one question. Well, absolutely. On the operations side, it is all about trying to get down the integrated disclosures. They can't really think or do anything else except focus on that. And of course, they're trying to do that hand in hand with their loan origination software providers, of which you know some are around the curve better than others, and some are better communicators. And I even have clients making a switch in their LOS at the same time, you know, because they're they're not going to be able to make it work with the one that they have. So, uh, to me, that's the number one thing that I think everyone is paying attention to. And if I were to answer anything else to that question, they would say I'm nuts. I can't pay attention to it until next year. <laughs> So <laughs> they can't pay attention to anything else besides that. Industry-wide, I mean, nationally, if I, if I took myself out of the weeds on the operations side, I would say we need to get Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac resolved. I spend day after day writing procedures manuals for companies from application through loan delivery. When you look at how embedded they are in everything that we do, we need to know yes. they're here or what form of them will be here long term. That has to get some attention. Very good. That's so true. And I think the MBA is starting to uh, speak more, speak out on that more. So um, that that's a big topic. Let's get to a listener wrote us. Uh, we have uh, Bob, uh, Bob uh, Scarpetta. I think I'm saying that right, Bob. I apologize if I'm slaughtering your name here. He wrote, he says, Love the broadcast, some great stuff. And he says, I have one question that he'd like us to answer. He says, what do you see as is the greatest need for the mortgage industry in the new year? The greatest need. Alice, I'll start with you. Oh, I guess I jumped ahead. That was my answer, Fannie and Freddie. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> that is the answer. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The greatest need uh, is to get I, that to you. Okay, good, good, good. I yeah. responded back to him with this. It says the short answer is have a clear vision uh and or a clear vision and plan to deal with both the risks and the opportunities here. And Andy, you were talking about the risk at least to as it relates to uh CMS uh compliance management system. Certainly there's all that. Um let's focus a little bit on the opportunities that are before us. And so let's start with Andy, then Alice and then I'll wrap up some of that. I'm looking at the clock. We have only uh, two minutes before the broadcast totally shuts down. So real quick, what do you think of the opportunity, Danny? Uh, well, let me ask the first section of that question, which was the greatest need. And I think the greatest need is for people to accept the fact that following the rules and being a regulated industry is the reality that we face. So stop complaining about it. Just accept that it's there. We also then need to account for it, meaning that we need to accept the fact that it's here. So we need to be very, very efficient in our operations. We need to have clean measurement so that we can be as efficient as possible. We probably need to increase our profit margins a bit to cover some of these costs. And by doing all of those things, and everybody has to do it because we're all affected by it, I think the opportunity then is that we come out on the other side of 2015 as a much more uh, structured industry. We come very come out much more uh, profitable, ultimately, as everybody accepts the fact that we have to do compliance well, and then it's smooth sailing on into 2016. Good job. Alice, what do you think are the opportunities in this new year? Well, I guess I'll focus on uh, sales, and I'll kind of dovetail off of what Andy was saying, that, you know, we have an opportunity to try and uh, find ways to be more efficient, uh, but FHA, I think, with the lowering of the premium brings new opportunities. I think loan originators who can grasp the new compliance and embrace it and treat it positively will be much better off than those who sit around and complain about it because I think there will be people who get out of the business if one more round of regulation hits. So those who stick it out have opportunity. Yeah. (laughs) 
I think the opportunity is there's going to be a massive amount of still consolidation, people exiting. People are going to be moving around. If you're an originator, this is the time to have your recruiting programs going out there. And we're going to be talking more about recruiting, a lot of how to run production successfully in the new year. Some of that will be coming up in the the future broadcast here in the near future. It's good to be with you all. The opportunities abound in the new year, and uh, but it's going to be complex. And one of the places to stay on top of it all is right here at Lickin' and Lending. Appreciate you tuning in. Be look forward to having you back next week. Have a great week, everybody. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Quo Line, Andy Schiff.